1: That's right. When you don't know what to do, just keep on breathing from beautiful Los Angeles, the city of angels, and from the Big Apple of New York. Welcome to all my listeners out there in Radio Land. I'm Dave, the caregiver's caregiver, and we are coming to you live and on demand 24 7 on 26 global and audio and video platforms, including iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Vimeo, Stitcher Radio, Blog Talk Radio. And a whole bunch more In fact, we're proud to be voted number one podcast on the top 50 on Player FM And number two podcast on Feedspot out of the top 60 And number two podcast on CaringVillage.com You know what they say about number two, they always try harder And we have an especially exciting show planned for you today, don't we, Adrian? Yes, we do Yes, we do Speak up, my dear Yes, we do uh, that's
2: better.
1: And uh, our show today, do you know a caregiver who needs an intervention? Gosh, have you ever heard those words? Scott and Jenny Graham have been changing their own story from despair to relief by entering recovery, which helped give them a unique perspective on the recovery process. As certified counselors, they have been facilitating interventions, transports, family programs, and relapse prevention sessions since 1988. And one can say that if you're a caregiver, (laughs) you're in danger of relapse, of going back to not caring for yourself like you were. So it's a strange combination, caregivers and intervention. But we're going to explore that because we like to explore things that other people aren't talking about. But before I do that, I want to thank last week's guest, uh, Eliza Harkins, focusing on the big things, get rid of the little things, He's developed a new product that lets users organize and be reminded about all their belongings, uh, making trips to the hospital on holidays, uh, going much smoother, etc. So just a reminder, you can watch or listen to that interview and all our interviews on our membership website, caregiverdave.com, or any of our other 25 global networks. I'm sorry, 26 global networks that I mentioned earlier. All right, enough of that. Scott and Jenny, welcome to the Caregiver Dave show. We're so excited to have you on.
3: Thank you so much, Dave. We're excited to be here with you both. And, uh, you know, it's a near and dear subject, not the intervention piece, but the caregiver piece. Because we, you know, we're caregivers and we know a lot of caregivers spot on when sometimes as caregivers, we don't take care of ourselves and we can get burned out. And when that happens, we go underground, just like the rest of the population and probably hit a lower bottom before we finally do get help. Yeah.
1: Well, I'd like to ask my guests uh, first question. Um, wh- who is uh, Scott and Jenny Graham, and why did God put you on this earth?
3: Well, that's a loaded question if I ever did hear it. I'm, I'm still yeah. trying to figure that out after that's 63 loaded. years. Why in the heck am I here? But, uh, you know, Jenny, taking a, a, a look back, I know that we are definitely on, on the highway that we're supposed to be on. We feel like we've been mantled to, uh, to do what we do as far as successfully interrupting dysfunction, whether it's a caregiver or a layperson with whatever kind of job or homemaker. And uh, we are definitely professional interrupters, that's for sure. But um, we had a, a rocky road before all of this that you know, led us to do what we do.
2: So we're a married couple. We met and married in less than three weeks. 35 wow. years ago. So here Let's we are 35 love. years later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Love we, are still, we are still passionate about each other and about what we have put our hands to the plow to do, which is to help people care for people when, when there's a dicey situation more effectively. Mm-hmm. And uh, every year goes by and another decade goes by, over three decades doing this, and we're more passionate than when we first began. So that's why we're on the earth. And we hope to do this as long as we're alive, that we can continue to speak in multi-syllable sentences and and, and speak in a way that motivates others because, because literally people are shutting down, they're buying into that message that they're powerless. And I'll tell you what, we are powerful. We are powerful because we have the power to empower others. So it's never good to overpower people but yeah. to influence people and impact people in a positive, dignified way. That's what we're about.
3: Mm-hmm. That's it. Oh, wow, she's the powerhouse, huh? Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. She uh, She's the live wire behind the wire. Sure.
1: <laughs> I like the way you said interrupting dysfunction. Yeah. Explain that for me, please. <laughs> well,
3: you know, dysfunction comes in a lot of different ways and then spoken in a lot of different terms. It could be... You know, somebody struggling with emotional, mental unrest. You know, whether it be depression, anxiety, uh, it could be substance use. Whatever the substance is, uh, I mean, it could be as uh, covert as you know, pornography, infidelity, um, any any behavior that warrants interruption because it is not only affecting the person involved in it, but affecting those that they love, and uh, that's. Yeah you know, so it doesn't really matter where it is if it if it if So
2: so it could be a relationship issue. So There could be nothing illegal going on. So for example, I got a call from a 90-year-old woman yesterday and she is caregiving her her son in his 60s who won't get out of bed and um is suffering with both depression and and alcoholism, and so it was quite the flip because usually it 's someone in their sixties caring for someone in their nineties, and they won 't get out of bed and they 're drinking too much. so This was an interesting uh case and it was it was it was an important conversation mm-hmm.
1: What a great team you are you know there aren 't too many husband wife caregiver teams that are out there trying to change the world. <laughs> Um, I like you because you're not afraid to use the S word, the selfish word You know, I did a TEDx speech and um, they really liked the topic In fact, they encouraged it, even though my book publisher did not encourage it uh, (laughs) Caregivers have to be selfish in order to survive There, I said it And um, you talk about uh, self-care isn't selfish So explain adapting the cornerstones of recovery to prevent burnout What's, is selfish a, a dirty word, or is it an okay word, or what's your opinion on that?
3: You know, to me, I'll give you a great example. So here's my selfish. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's a self-sacrifice in the same breath because I'll get up early to have my quiet time. I'll get up early enough to get my workout time. And, and so that's like a four-hour block of time. Before I have to go anywhere, I'm up four hours prior to that. And, and yes, even though I sacrifice maybe some sleep, I know that it's something that helps me get through my day. And I literally do that every single day.
2: And I want to point out that he won't answer a text. He won't answer a call. He's, he's doing the self-care, is isn't selfish, self-care method. And this is where, because we take care of ourselves, then, then we have enough to pour out to very needy, very draining, what some people would, would count as draining situations. And so I would, I would, I have no tattoos, little self disclosure, (laughs) but I would, I would tattoo if I was gonna get one. It would be self care isn't selfish, (laughs) and I'd want it somewhere where you could see it and where people would go, you know, and be shocked because because we need to learn this message or we are gonna burn out.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we're saying the same thing only differently because, um, you know, caregivers are so selfless. Yeah. That in order for them to be balanced, they've got to overcompensate a little bit, move that pendulum all the way over to from selfless to selfish, mm-hmm. and actually their selfish is far from selfish
0: it Yeah. they've
1: just become balanced and now they're no longer selfless. So, you know, it's a play on words, but it gets their attention. It's a nice hook.
3: Yeah, it, re- it really is, and you know, also too, a lot of self, or a lot of caregivers are self-employed. And so, like us, they're literally waking up unemployed every day. And so when the phone rings, we're on. You know, we're, we're waiting for that next, that next call, that next opportunity to help somebody. And so, therefore, I know early on in my career, it, it prevented me from really relaxing to having that downtime I think that I needed. And now, you know, at this stage in our career, I'm okay with it. i mean, I trust the process. So I think that's a dynamic that causes burnout, too. Can you
1: explain what you mean when you say tough conversations counterintuitive components, uh, humor, and hope?
3: What does that mean? Well, you probably wrote that one, so I'm going to let you yeah, explain you out your guys. words.
2: <laughs> yeah. so, so most people— <laughs> That's what I
3: meant, her words. <laughs> most,
2: most people are amazing if they're giving a friend advice or they're in a situation that doesn't have any emotional buttons that it pushes— But so many of us, those tough conversations need to happen where there's deep relationship and there's a lot on the line take. And even so many caregivers are not paid, they're not self-employed, they're doing this for family, they're doing this out of duty. And so even more so, you get you get all that emotion tangled in. And we tend to be a little looser with someone who we care deeply about versus putting on that better behavior for the perfect stranger, you know, that sort of a thing. And so, surprisingly, have a tough conversation when you're trying to help someone who's gone in in an unhealthy direction come back, right? Come back to the sanity of a healthier direction it's it's not about proving your point and bringing justification and pulling the finger out of the out of the holster and using the pointer right like this needs to stay in the holster and and it's and it's about can I entreat you to hear my heart using in addition to what I'm hoping for the humor and the hope that we have a we have a plan that we never want to speak at a memorial and say gee I wish I told them so we make it a point and we live a life where, regardless of whether it's a tough conversation or not, we always want our love bank reconciled to the penny, like like we want you to know why we love you. And so back to the tough conversation, so let's just say that Scott really needs to see a doctor and he's just digging his heels in, being really resistant as in absolutely not. I can remind him that life could be longer and even more fun. And and have and have greater capacity if he were to reconsider seeing this doctor and, and handling this problem. And I'm reminded of my favorite time. And then I can go off on a tangent and tell him something humorous, a favorite memory, the kind of things you'd say at a roast. And then that that the, the you want to hear more of, and then I can go back to can you do this for me? And that's another strategy besides humor. Is I think most listeners that are listening today. Think that they don't have a right to ask you to do something for me. For me. Mm-hmm. And so, and so people always say, Do it for you, do it for you. Y'all need to throw that statement out because we don't think highly enough of ourselves. We don't have the regard. And so you matter to us. And so I can do it in part for you, not not in totality, mm-hmm. but I can do it in part for you. So that combination of humor and letting your own guard down and asking, you know, will you do it for me?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: That's a great negotiating ploy. And uh, you seem like a woman that you just don't take no for an answer.
3: <laughs> Boy, you paid her just right. Oh, my goodness. <laughs>
1: <clears throat> and I love the way every time you say the word we, you know, you're going like this, and you're looking at him like he's there. You know, you're not just solo pilot here. You are connected, Wait. you two. Oh, yeah. that, that is so great. is that great, Adrian? That's so unusual. Yeah. <laughs> so rare. And maybe if you can model that to other couples, boy, you've got
3: something there. Yeah, well, we, we actually try to. When we do our family programming, hmm. families and a lot of times couples, and, you know, we're, we're, we're I always say that what you see when we're like in front of people, like, you know, what we're on, it looks like we're performing, but we're not. It's like, what you see now is what you see if you were in our living room, what, how we are. It's really just who we are. So it makes it authentic. It matters. <laughs> yeah, it, it really does. People, I think people can sniff out a phony in a heartbeat. I really do. And I think that we're as a, as a, as a race, we are starving for authenticity. And, and and nobody wants to be sold something you know uh, or told to do something like you're saying mm-hmm. we want to entreat we want to call people in not call them out that's really the key so yeah. what did
1: you do before you did this i'm trying to imagine what occupation you were in to have all these gifts and talents that you have now and then how long all second question how long have you two been doing this together
3: so prior to doing this work, I was in law enforcement. So I worked for the L.A. County Sheriff's Department, worked undercover in Vice Narcotics out of West Hollywood. And uh, I'm one of those tragic stories, actually, where I imploded. I was had personal problems. I stayed kind of in that undercover mode too long and and uh, started to self-medicate and escape that way. And it caused me to crash and burn where I got arrested while on duty, made ABC, NBC, and CBS all one night. and and I years I recognized this. you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What do you mean? You mean because I stopped you on the street one time, or because she saw
1: me <laughs> paper? <laughs> uh, she wasn't going to have any part of that, was she? Yeah. Well, no.
2: He actually told so me. Are you intervening? He 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 told first date. Yeah. And yeah. so I thought, great, a pen pal. Yeah. That will be a very you know, non-stressful kind of way to build a relationship. I like to write, so yeah. I'll be your pen pal. That's
3: what I told him. Yeah. So we, you know, I'll we, be your friend. We, uh, she was definitely my you reason. You were actually. married at the time? No, we no, weren't married. No, no,
2: he's telling me this on his, on our first date. We,
3: we were, we were at a hot swinging spot called the Sagebrush Cantina on a Mother's Day up in Calabasas, California. And, and, uh, oh, I
2: was well. hanging out with a
3: buddy and she comes with a girlfriend on Mother's Day and I yeah. introduced myself. And Neither
2: like, of us were with our mother. I yeah, just want to make that clear. <laughs>
3: But yeah, I mean, I told her, hey, here's, here's, here's who I am, and this kind of draw-dropping, you know, first date kind of, it wasn't a date, but just first impression material,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but
3: I wasn't, I wasn't, I was a little embarrassed by it, but I wasn't afraid of it. I mean, it was who I, who I was, and, and so she met me in the middle of my mess, and I was mercifully sentenced to two years in prison. I was, uh, my first night in jail was next to Richard Ramirez, the night stalker. And so that's who I was, you know, not bunk mates with, but I was, you know, right next to him while he was going through his free trial stuff. And, um, and so we got into this industry when, after I got out and then you were in financial services and, uh, I definitely married up. I mean, I kid you not, I so out kicked my coverage with Jenny. It was, uh, uh, it was that's fake, sweet. fake for sure. But, uh, but we've been doing this work now for 33 years.
2: So Scott got out of prison. Went back to school, um, became a counselor, got certified in drug and alcohol work, mental health, those kinds of things. And since I'm the brains with the money, (laughs) I said, okay, well, I'll I'll run the phones, I'll run the books, you know, I'll, 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 you, you just go, you go where I point you, go. Here's the address back in the days of the Thomas map, right? Uh You know, figure out how to get there. And we kept losing cases because they would want a female. It's like, oh, we can't have him. She's like, maybe in her nightgown, maybe not. But you know, he can't go in, in the situations. And uh, so I jokingly say I was dragged into this business because we were losing business, and I saw that there were going to be cases where they needed a female. So Adrian, for example, I could follow you into your closet and help you pack in a way that maybe it would be weird for Scott to. Maybe not, but but maybe. And so therein lies where. Uh, Shortly after we opened in 88, we figured out that I needed to do more than answer the phone mm-hmm. or run the books. And then to my shock, it was so rewarding and uh, delightful. Mm-hmm. So here we are, literally 33 years of doing this and not looking back uh, other than to thank God for this meaningful work. Mm-hmm. You're talking about going into somebody's closet
3: to help them pack. Or is that to go to rehab? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we do the transport right after we're done with the intervention.
0: What kind of work people were you called on to help in the first place? Out just just people with alcohol and drug problems or mental? Initial, mentalism?
2: Well, initially we really thought it would be about the drugs and the alcohol, but mm-hmm. right out of the gate we saw the complexity. Of cases where there was underlying anxiety and depression and and maybe some schizophrenic tendencies and, and we and then we started to see where there were all of those and they really would benefit from the same process even if there wasn't a substance or liquid involved and it was just mental health duress. and then eating disorders which can often include over exercising and uh, but nothing illegal and. Although you can have an alcoholic anorexic, and mm-hmm. it's really some of my favorite people on the planet. But um, all that to say, it just it just kept growing in the same and, way that.
3: And, and it was people from all socioeconomic backgrounds, from entertainment accident. industry, you know, professional athletes to the the, the the girl living under the bridge. You know that family still loved her and wanted her back.
0: I mean, how many times would you visit with someone, do you think?
3: Was it usually just one visit or...? No, 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 what happens is a family member calls us about their loved one they're concerned with. They organize the team, the team of people who are significant to that person, and we go to them, we spend six hours preparing before the actual intervention takes place, Okay. And then after that preparation period, then it's usually a couple of hours in front of the person. And then right, right from there, we go off to treatment wherever we've designated is the best place for them.
2: Okay. So, 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 so compare us to an ambulance driver. So the ambulance driver is, is literally on the spot, arresting the situation, maybe resuscitating life, right, mouth-to-mouth breathe you know just 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 the vitals but they aren't the surgeon they aren't going to cut them open they aren't going to you know do all this type of care and so that's what a treatment center does is is that loved one might need two months or three months or three weeks or one week and 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 to that point I, i i am angry that people only think of intervention when it's that grand of a scenario and i wish that we would think about doing this much sooner in the continuum and doing soft interventions where i'm just trying to get you to that evaluation trying to get you to say yes to something that doesn't mean that there's a jet waiting for us and so on and so forth
1: Mm -hmm. what is a soft intervention
3: well it would be where it might not be a surprise uh, and it might not be where they're gonna. We want them to go somewhere right then and there, where we give some time to think about it, to allow them to really feel more empowered by that. It was their choice if they wanted to take it to more intensive. So
1: How do those that, soft interventions typically go?
3: Well, they go well because it's if wow. they're they're easy, quite frankly. Because you think about the surprise method. So let's say that we're on you. The furthest thing from your mind is that you're going to have a group of people walking through your front door unannounced. And we were all going to, on bended knee, read these amazing letters. Everybody would cry, and then it would culminate in me saying, well, do you feel loved? You go, yeah, I feel pretty loved. And would you agree you've got a problem? It's like, well, okay, are you ready to make a change? It's like, well, okay. And then I say, okay, we're going to have got plane tickets planned. We're going to go get on a plane. And you go, what, right now? Hey, yeah, right now. And so we go through that. And, and, and to our amazement still, nine out of ten times people say, okay, let's do this. And people are jaw-dropped. They're like, I cannot believe that, that number one, we were able to, to read our letters, they listened to us, and they're going. And, and, and it proves that nobody wakes up wanting to be imprisoned by their dysfunction, wants to be separated from the people that they love, wants to die prematurely. Nobody wants that in their right mind. So we are, are helping people feel relieved more than anything else because they're...
2: Right, that's the overwhelming yeah. that's the overwhelming response.
3: But isn't it also
1: e- easier for someone to say no in a soft intervention because it's the, it's the urgency isn't there? They can yeah. put it off. They've been putting off things all their life, you know?
3: Well, but we plan for that, though. We know that they're used to telling themselves, let alone the people in their life, what, what they think they want to hear. And so we have to set up an accountability partner plan, if you will. And in, in our preparation, we've talked about, okay, what if they don't follow through? What if they do go slide back? You know, what what would we do next? And so, like, a great example would be I had a family where the dad was the chief enabler, right? We intervened on the daughter. She was a pistol. Oh, my gosh. And she says, no, thank you very much, but no, I'm not going anywhere today. And, and, and that that's not what she said, but I'm saying it kindly. And so the dad... We talked about no more enabling, you know, new boundaries. Uh, only talk to her if she's willing to go to treatment. Well, he enabled her from the get-go. So the family calls me and says, We want to intervene on him. We're also angry. He caved and everything. And so we walked through his front door. Literally, five days later, he looks at us and goes, Oh, I know what this is. And we went ahead and, and read our letters and said, you know, will you go to will you go to treatment? We had codependency treatment for him and he went. So you can still you know, you can still do an effective intervention even though they might know it's coming. Sorry about that.
0: If that's what I was I was going to ask uh, about things other than substance abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely, is-
2: absolutely. This method works whatever whenever the situation is, and whether you're doing it in those early stages or whether you're doing it where there's serious help that you want to have as a as a solution. So most definitely. And, um, I'll tell you what the, um, the thing that we didn't see coming, like the surprise in the 33 years of would be that a large arm of our business, like a quarter of our business is interrupting young people who are addicted to video gaming. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. That's like, they're not using drugs. You'd think they'd need them to stay up and game the amount of hours that yeah, but that yeah. is a serious yeah. issue and and they and their virtual connecting versus real connecting it's 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 such a bigger problem than people who I, are outside I, of I, it really I understand. What's your
1: success yeah. rates in the video uh, department
3: very, very high. I mean, I, I really? we, we do we do about when we do the 60 to 90 interventions a year. Maybe 15 of them are for gamers, and they, they've all gone. I've not not—I've not had one that has not gone.
2: But I've had one. I've had one that didn't go. And
3: how old are these gamers? As young as 13 and as old as in their late 20s typically is what they range really? in. The, the
1: older ones will cooperate, huh?
3: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I had a guy that was actually making about five, six grand a month helping people move up their little ladder to have a better spot. So he was actually making money doing this. And, and he went, even. Yeah, and helped.
2: that's a tough one when they're actually, no, I'm, I'm making
0: yeah, money doing this. It uh, makes right. it a harder argument. I mean, I have, uh, I actually have two cousins who got divorces because their husbands were uh, addicted to, to porn. They'd wake mm-hmm. up in the middle of the night and their husbands wouldn't be in bed. They'd right. be a the computer, And it, it was... It, it was a terrible addiction mm-hmm
3: yeah it, it really it really is it's so accessible but it's it's like any other addiction that's so accessible uh but that even more so i know that you know it's at your phone you can do it a computer you can really be anywhere and uh you know the the secrecy piece to it the underground yes. uh piece is just so prevalent so yeah, I mean, we've, we've done plenty of interventions on, on you know, on porn addiction. They're just sex addiction, even, yes. you know. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, listen, we're going to take a break, so we'll be right back. Don't go away. And we're back with our guests, Scott and Jenny Graham, and my co-host, Adrian Gruberg, and I'm Caregiver Dave from the Caregiver Dave program at uh, caregiverdave.com. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, we're talking about intervention. And did I ask you yet uh, when the right time uh, to intervene was, or did I do that already? No, you haven't done that yet. And what you know, is the right time, and what is the wrong time? The right time is now, and the wrong time is if they're
3: dead. <laughs> I guess. that's... And, you something. know, people. You think about. You think about the people who love someone there, it's an emotional, you know, experience. And unfortunately fear settles in far too quick and for far too long. And it prevents people from taking action, you know, and as far as it's never a good time, there's always going to be, I've got to work, I've got a vacation, I've got this or I've got that. And the bottom line is, is, is that we're trying to highlight that there's nothing more important than you are nothing. And, and, and well said. We're, we're, we're pretty good persuaders in that regard.
2: <laughs> and we're creative. I mean, we were we were involving people. I can't get there. You know, it's like we did Skype and now we do Zoom and you know, we've been doing that since the nineteen eighties, involving people who can't have their body present for the actual event. Right. And and that bodes to just segue and tell you that there's no exact size. an intervention team and so we're going into situations where it's just that you intervening on them where where there is no team you just need a mediator facilitator but honestly if you had two or three more there would be less weight on your shoulders because it would be shared Mm -hmm. and then i always match it to the family dynamic so if you have this big giant animated family you know you can have a bigger group but if you're you know an only child or, or one of two, and you're intervening on the folks, you know, whatever your situation is, it could be quite intimate, very, very small.
1: So most people don't normally think of caregivers needing intervention, but I can think of some instances, perhaps, you know, this caregiver is just giving in to all of the demands of their loved one. Uh, maybe they're being motivated by guilt, or maybe it was their fault that they became disabled, and so they're mm-hmm. that little slave, and and uh, family members see what's ha- happening. They try to explain. You've got to, you've got to have some boundaries. You've got to stand up to your mother, and and it all goes on deaf ears, just like a drug addict. So, have yeah. you ever um, actually intervened uh, in caregivers' lives?
3: You know, not specifically where the caregiver was experiencing burnout or even being verbally mm-hmm. abused by you know, the person they were doing that caregiving mm-hmm. for. But I remember a, a kind of similar in a sense where I had a, a very prominent uh, coach for, for for a team. And his now new wife, his, his wife of many, many years passed away. So he's got this young gal and she's just like taking him for everything that, that he's worth. And the family sees this. And so we intervened on him to get him away from her so that the family had time to legally put together some implementation to protect, you know, the assets. I mean, we literally had a jet wait and flew him off to Hawaii. She had no idea where he was at, and then they took care of business. So, again, it doesn't matter what the situation is. The process essentially is the same. And so... uh,
2: And that's that process where, you know, if you wouldn't want this done to you, then don't do it that way to someone else. And so it's so. Soft-spirited, even though the stakes can be tremendous, it's about having those tough conversations and saying, "Here's what I see. Here's what I what I hope for." And and that yeah. focus of of what I hope for, what's next, is it doesn't become this debate. The way if we're gonna, you know, hash out what already happened, that's where interventions done on their own just drive themselves into a hole. They yeah. stick a hole deeper. Right. Well,
3: they're trying to put logic. If I'm like yeah, operating right. logic, yeah, I'm sharing my logic to you, who are actually living and thinking in an illogical manner. So it's like trying to mix oil and water. It doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. So it's more of an emotional outpouring that we help people present yeah. in a healthy way.
1: I'm assuming they helped him get a prenuptial uh, agreement for any future women that he might want to uh, yeah. get in the Yeah, water. Well, well, you
3: know what yeah, happened absolutely. what
1: happened with her did it uh, break up or did they get married? yeah it, it,
3: it broke up actually he had the you know the onset of alzheimer's too and so that was another uh, dynamic of of you know he just wasn't really seeing the, the reality of the situation god love him uh, but
1: so how do you get a a demented man to break up with his girlfriend who's a gold digger how, how does that happen
3: well you know the family decision the, is it well it was actually the family i mean the family I mean, he had you know, the guy had an agent. He had a family that was really wonderful people. They, they weren't doing it to get his money. That was clear as day. It was to protect him, and that just needed to be put together and presented to legal authorities so that she, you know, she would be called out. That was one situation where she was going to get called out. Right, right. We're not right. Trying to call her she's in. taking
1: advantage of a man oh, of who, who can't uh, isn't isn't of sound mind and body, as they say. Correct.
0: Yeah. Um, I have a question, God knows caregivers can be driven to drink and driven to drugs and they're not able to be whisked off to rehab necessarily because they're they've got Caregiver. to be on the spot yeah, that's so, right. uh, and food addiction so I mean how, how would you deal with that?
2: So no, it absolutely depends on. It depends on the situation because if their life is at risk. So what if they were using drugs, and what if they had some sort of seizure or any other sort of repercussion? And so there comes a point where they're actually endangering who they are caring for. And um, so we actually did have an intervention on a caregiver within the last two months and you forgot because you didn't do it. Yeah. But it was it was a double intervention, which is also easy, where both the husband and the wife need to be interviewed. Mm-hmm. And uh, the wife was a working nurse in a hospital, so they were functioning addicts. So she's working in a hospital setting. Imagine, imagine someone caring for you who's a drug addict, okay? Like, right. mm-hmm. But her, her husband was caregiving the little towns police chief's wife so here he's dealing drugs you know maintaining a drug habit and caring for someone in their home and no one's catching on what's going on in terms of their employer so only family knows so the family put together an intervention and the pressure for them to go i mean they were completely freaked out about my job my job and so although they said no, they said no, but maybe and so literally five days later They were both on planes going to different treatment centers and 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 they decided that their life was was on the line
3: But but going so, back yeah, to would jeopardize But the but, work. but going back to where maybe an inpatient stay is not warranted
2: mm-hmm. Because if you look Just at al- if you mentioned.
3: look at if you look at outcome studies, there's not a big variance between inpatient and outpatient the, the the determiner is the motivation behind the person, you know, seeking that help. So in a situation like that where it's just not possible for a person to leave, then an outpatient program would be set up with people backing, okay, when you're gone for two, three hours doing your outpatient care, you know, Mary will step in and, and, and cover you for that period of time. So that's how we would work that one out. Okay.
2: And people are doing, many therapists or are administering yep. therapy on Zoom, and, and there's just, There's just never been a better Time to get help and Even when COVID is completely Over and everybody's doing everything in person People are pivoting and they like This medium so there's going to be a lot Of this so there's no reason for Someone to not at least be offered A better life, a healthier life A longer life Mm -hmm. because that's What it's going to equate to in the long run Do
1: a lot of people attempt to do interventions On their own without any professional help And if so what are the most common mistakes that they make
3: well the answer would be yes and and that's not necessarily uh you know the wrong thing to do but what ends up happening typically is they create a deeper wedge it causes a bigger divide because again they're they're logic driven and they tend to stack up evidence to convict the person into that change and you know people in dysfunction tend to be highly uh defensive uh even volatile and if you don't have the skill set to, A, not speak in terms that can create volatility or defensiveness, uh, then the chances of it, you know, moving the needle are, are, are way lower than if you had a professional. And so the mistakes you go ahead and, and
2: share. So the other primary mistake that people make when they intervene on their own is, is they only think of, of gathering people who have specific mm. evidence or offense or you know they want this vindication or justification and it's just great to involve someone who has no clue that there's anything amiss because they just bring the love to the table because they care enough about you to remind you i remember when you helped me with this and i remember that and you're just like the way you are you- and so they love them out loud so well without the yeah but
3: And before you go on with that, too, again, the the impetus behind what we're trying to do is wake up the part of the person that's been taken hostage by their dysfunction. So we're not calling them out what's wrong. We're waking up what's right. Right. And people say yes to help if you do that effectively. They don't say yes to help if you,
1: you know, highlight what's wrong. How do people normally find you? Um, Well, eyes out there? Is it word of mouth?
3: Yeah, it's, it's, really, it's really a word of mouth. Uh, we have a lot of uh, treatment centers who know of us.
2: Hospitals. Therapists. Hotlines.
3: And, we, and we've helped over 2,000 families, so that's a big referral network as, as well. So,
2: so how our many, website how is many Care of
3: How many did you say?
0: Over 2,000. Over
3: 2,000. Over 2,000 families we've helped. And, uh, and, you know, in our family programming, we've been doing one or two or three programs a month for over 10 years now. And so that, that's a big group of people. Helps
2: reconcile else. families. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. So, you know, on, on the internet, you know, carefrontations, it's a made up word, you know, instead of confrontations, we like the carefrontations with an S at the end, dot com.
1: Yeah. Were you saying something, Adrian?
0: I was saying it's a great name. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. I made it up and then later yes. it was
2: like, why did I, why such a long word?
1: Um, but yeah, <laughs> so, you know, there's guilt associated with what you do and there's grief and do some people kind of mix it up and kind of get confused as to what is what and what's proper and what's appropriate?
3: Well, you know, anytime the person, you know, guilt to me says I've done something wrong. And if I hang on to that guilt too long, it think, of course, can turn into shame and then that can become a toxic, uh, ingredient in, in, in my life. So with the work that we do, when we identify guilt, then we have an opportunity to address it by apologizing and hoping there will be forgiveness one day for what I didn't do or what I did do, you know, anything that created that guilt, we give people the opportunity to reconcile that. And and that's a real big piece of, of, of our work is the forgiveness piece. So,
2: but I, but I also like to say when you intervene, in a dignified, loving, soft-spirited, on bended knee, either physically because you can, or in spirit, then then it's a remedy for your guilt, but not a promise to be a remedy for your grief, because the guilt would be if I'd have only tried, if I'd have only done something more effective, and so and so that can play in your mind, and so you can lose someone and lose that chance. Just play it in your head and not be able to shut it off. So we want to always know that we were bold, we were courageous. We we we, we tried to offer right help and and a way out, a new direction. And so that is a remedy for my guilt. And then if you don't take that or it doesn't work out, then I'm going to have grief. But grief is incredibly you can bear up, you can you can build Range capacity butter. to 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 walk with grief. And it's guilt, though, that it just crushes you. It's just,
1: yeah. It's guilt need, that keeps on
2: giving. It is. We need to break up with that.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um,
1: this sounds like... Go ahead, Adrian.
0: I have another question. Do you have competition, or is this something that's popular elsewhere or that other people are doing that you know about successfully? Or Well, it's... it's-
2: so, so I'm just going to be a professional interrupter and interrupt you. I want to say that today the word intervention is much more well known uh, they yes. make jokes about it for you know a commercial on tv it's and sitcom. they're doing an intervention because you shopped at such and such a store so so it's much more well known and so there's lots of interventionists choose from all over the country our beef is is that when you google intervention really well respected entities are are giving out information that's based out of the 1960s when interventions First got known, and and they're and they're stacking up evidence, and you did this, and you ruined my birthday, and they're doing all these things that we're so opposed to, and so we still see really respected interventionists doing interventions in a way where we wouldn't let them intervene on our dog, like. That just isn't good. So
3: you know, the, everybody is so funny. I have people that like when we we do our preparations, somebody from family goes, "Oh, that look, I think I, I would love to be an interventionist," you know. And so they're real curious. It looks really cool, kind of glamorous in a sense. And then we get to the intervention, and they go, "I don't think I want to do that. No, that's you know, that that's like way too hard." And and people. I think, and you people,
0: could, I think we should come up with a with a model and franchise this.
3: Well, we definitely have a model. It's our own model, and, and no Thank one does you. it like we do. And,
0: uh, and,
3: and,
2: and to your point, we, we did decide to film, record, and, and make our model available where you could buy it as an online course for a few hundred dollars. And so we didn't want to leave the earth without leaving behind the, the wisdom that we had
3: so on, gained. On our website, it's called Intervention in a Box. So you can just look that up and, and you know fantastic have your own self. That's where Dave that's, no, where, no that's
2: where that's
3: where family.
1: Your theme song should be Nobody Does It Better <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well we'll hire you when we expand our marketing.
1: <laughs> so what do you do then instead of the typical list, Well you ruined my birthday and you did this? What what do you replace that with?
3: Well, you know, you you, you definitely want to honor the past. But we help people do it in a very short, overarching kind of a way. So I'll give you an example. <clears throat> say you and I are brothers, and I'm intervening on you, and you've got this 20-year history of stuff. That I, I mean, I literally could write a short novel on everything I've experienced with your dysfunction.
1: I have a cousin but, like that, yes.
3: <laughs> so instead, what I would ha- what I would say to you is, you know, Dave, when I, when I think about the last 20 years, all the ups and downs and the issues, the problems we've all faced, I, I really want you to know that my heart aches for you. It aches for our family. There have been moments I have felt so frustrated and, and even angry, but but today I choose to have hope for, for what's next. So, so that's all I'm, I'm going to say about the past and the rest of our style and what I love about you when, when things are okay and what might happen if you don't change and what might happen if you do change. So it's about the future. It hasn't been written yet. So you can hear something way more effectively that hasn't happened. Trying to hear something that already has
2: happened Right
1: yeah. Well, yeah. listen. Let's, let's take another break we'll be right back Don't go away We're back with our guests Scott and Jenny Graham And my co-host Adrian Gruber And we are talking About intervention And caregivers believe it or not <laughs> There <laughs> is There is a connection there I didn't even think of the Alcoholic caregiver Or the uh, uh, Addicted Or uh, to um, video games, caregiver who's who's neglecting their caregiving duties because they're they can't get off the computer, stuff like that. All this stuff happens, folks, and uh, you know who you are. Guilt, guilt, guilt. No guilt. But um, uh, as far as the um, actual intervention goes, you talk about um, old ways and new ways, right? And um, is there? Uh, you mentioned that there's a lot of uh, places that are doing it the old way. Are there more places that are doing it the right way besides you guys?
3: You know, it,
0: it, <clears throat> the
1: right area, are you? What area are you um, working out of? And besides, there's Zoom anyway, so I guess it doesn't matter, right?
3: Well, and even before Zoom, we, we, I mean, between the two of us, we probably are on an airplane 500,000 miles a year. We're on an airplane somewhere. Yeah. <clears throat> so, you know, there, there's different, I want to use the word different than right or wrong ways. Uh, many, many interventions are looking at that, that point of entry into treatment and, and that's the success. And even though that has to happen first, we're more dialed into how can we help expand the treatment experience and further increase the probability of success long-term. That's what our real focus is. And, uh, so, you know, I, I have not heard a lot of people that have, you know...
2: Well, we, it's profound how we are constantly told, wow, this was really different. We did a different style intervention, you know, for somebody else at another point in time. And so we never hear, oh, this is just like last time. Like, we've actually never heard that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so between the fact that we're on bended knee to the formatting of making people laugh... Uh, it's it's really like a roast and a memorial rolled into one but you're still breathing there's still hope let's go let's go and so that's it in the nutshell and again the other stylistically the old way the predominant way I want to call it the predominant it really way. is it really 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 is they're so about you know doing what I feel like the treatment at the at the center will do. Like they're the ones that should dig through that trauma, and only after a person is stabilized.
1: Yeah, and I mean, we, we we had. Asked. A, do they have less? I'm sorry. Do they have less of a success rate? Do you
3: feel than than the?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> Look at the relapse rates.
3: Well, see that's that's again as far as where are we measuring it? Are they saying yes, help a lot treatment? I say. No, probably it's pretty similar. But to me, the real success is do they stay as long as they're supposed to? And even more importantly than that, do they stay the course? Do they stay the course? Right,
2: right. Based on the amount of cards and emails and communication we get, which is, you know, we've had the same phone number for three decades. And so every family, anyone we cross paths with, you know, we're a sounding board for them and they'll reach out if there's trouble in River City. Yeah.
1: And, uh, I, I just hired someone who um, is in recovery And they've changed their life They have one year recovery uh, They've relapsed twice And so now they know why they relapsed They didn't keep the, the things in place That they needed to keep in place And um, his sponsor, which I spoke to um, He's had uh, 15 years of sobriety But he relapsed nine times So it's like... Uh, there's no safe number, is there, to no, not there, be there, in danger of relapsing?
3: No, there, there really isn't. I mean, even though both of us uh, really walk in freedom in our recovery, we're not tethered to our old ways anymore. We have a healthy disdain for the old ways of living. Coping, log- all log- all ways of coping. Logically, we know that we are one way from you know going back. That is yeah. always, you know, it, it's out there, but it's so far removed. Uh, and that's a big part of our family programming work is we really help people, you know, reduce that probability of relapse. I mean, relapse is so prevalent that in treatment, people are hearing, clients in treatment are hearing that relapse is a part of recovery. And if you're the mother or father or spouse, you'd be going, what? Like you're giving them permission to relapse? What, what, are, you, what are you doing? I'm spending 30 grand for treatment and you're saying it's okay? That, that's, it, it's, it's not, but we know it happens. It's
1: probably um, inevitable. Um, well, it, this, this guy I spoke with, he compared it to, uh, you know, alcoholism being a disease, whether you agree with that or not mm-hmm. uh, Diabetes is a disease, and if you stop taking your insulin, you're going to relapse, you know And so yeah. the alcoholic's uh, insulin or the addict's insulin is the uh, recovery, you know The 12-step or the uh, sponsor or the accountability or the classes or the, uh, the meetings, you know, regularly Right. And, uh, you agree with that? I see your head's nodding. Yeah,
2: yeah. The opposite of addiction and the opposite of dysfunction is connection.
3: Right. So yeah,
1: to so stay all these ways of connection. Yeah, you,
3: you've got you've got to be travel. vigilant. I mean, it's a lifetime journey, and and complacency is the big enemy, and that's why people relapse; they get complacent.
1: Yeah. What does it mean? This sounds like something Jenny said, and she needs to break it down for me. <laughs> the paradigm shift from boundaries. As quote absolutes to a quote temporary stance.
2: Mm. That's, okay, so, that's, so
1: deep. You gotta you gotta break it down.
2: All right. Well, that speaks to. So let's say that we have done our best to effectively interrupt, intervene, offer a step in a new direction, whatever that looked like, and that our loved one said no, or or even though they said yes, then they fell off the wagon and they're in relapse land again. So either scenario, they've either said no or they've not stayed the course. And so a lot of times, we who love them will lose our cool and will say what we ought not and we'll will say things like, I'm cutting you off. That's a phrase. I'm which, done. I'm done, we're through here, I'm finished. And so they say things number one that may or may not be sustainable, but they they injure that sensitive soul, that person who needs love, right? And if I'm that person, it's like I need a drink just to get over how you just shot me down. Okay. Mm-hmm. But but beyond that, I can still be firm and take care of myself because self-care isn't selfish. And I can say I'm 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 choosing to handle this by taking just a temporary stance of, of not initiating help and communication. You can call me anytime you want, but I'm I'm going to step back, and so I'll be loving you from a distance instead of up close. Yeah. Call me when you're ready for a healthy relationship. I'm all in when you are, and so it speaks to that next step. Yeah, and it leaves the door open. And As you I have mentioned, deleted I deleted the number.
1: As I mentioned, I have a cousin who's been on drugs since he was 17 He's now 64 Whoa. And, uh, you know, off and on, up and down I mean, we've went to bat for him more times than I can count mm-hmm. Been through recovery more times than I can count mm-hmm. and it just seems like, uh, you know uh, We connected again after a couple of years recently And and he did some work for me He's a very good worker And then, you know, he, he's on drugs again So mm-hmm. I did the I'm done with you speech Which I've done so many times <laughs> You just can't help yourself Because he just seems like a bad seed Like he's incorrigible Like he'll never get off this stuff And I know those are all terrible things You tell a person who's in recovery I can see you squinting And... Uh, but what do I do with him? You know, because every time I bring him in, I get hurt, I get taken advantage of, I end up missing money, etc. And you know, yeah, I can, I have forgiven him, but I don't have to have him in my life. But how do how do you become a supportive uh, person for a relative who has uh, what seems to be a never ending drug problem? But um, you don't want him in your life things are just so much nicer when he's not around
3: yeah well yeah we have personal experience with that we have a daughter who we've been dealing with that what you've just tried for 20 years we put in treatment five different times she's lost uh the privilege of of parenting her kids on a daily basis i mean everything you just described we have been living out and uh currently she's trying to get into detox again and so, you know, we've chosen to have to, to, to n- never stop loving her first and foremost. Uh, unconditional love is just that it's unconditional. Uh, but, but there is a trust issue that needs to be built upon. But, you know, we, 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 she says to us, you don't trust me. And Jenny would say, you're right, honey, we don't trust you, but we have faith in you. We have faith yeah. that one day you are going to make the right move and you're going to get this thing called recovery in life. And so we just decided that you have to be dead for us to lose hope in you. But there are days that are harder than others. And so what we do is give ourselves the opportunity each and every morning to just be able to visit about her, maybe pray up for her, and then let go of her. And uh, we went through a period of time where we did the tough love, no contact, no nothing, and she did not call us. So it's like clearly she doesn't care about us. She cares about the drugs more. But in fear that she was going to die and we wouldn't get a chance to say one more word to her, we went ahead and told her we weren't going to enable her, we weren't going to give her money, but we would still love to have a visit with you, take you out to to, to lunch, do do just do anything, uh, just to know that you're alive. And she says to us, you know, just because I'm an addict doesn't mean I'm not alive. Doesn't mean that I'm you know this this monster. I've got a you know an illness, yes, and and I know it's 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 unhealthy, it's crazy, but. I'm still a human being, and, and that's what a lot of addicts, I think, think people in dysfunction, I'm still a human being, and I'm getting treated like I'm scourged on the earth, or I've got leprosy. And, and mm-hmm. I think people have to find a place where they can manage the relationship without enabling or allowing that unhealthiness to take them down, not own what they do or don't do. And so if you want to hire him or if you want to talk to him, just know that I'm going to probably lose some money. I'm going to probably go through this or that and be okay with it. Don't have your expectations to where perfection is going to be modeled out because it won't be. Uh,
2: well, that's it. We're going to base it, base it on history. But in the next sprat, you know, we want to give you permission to not hire them, not put your heart on the table to be accepted or sure. rejected again. And it's just different seasons of time, and that's like what we've done with our daughter who's turning 40 and and, and it's like, okay, we, we build up the capacity, we build, we widen the bandwidth to be able to handle some more heartache in case it goes poorly, but also some strength because our hope could be the very thing. And she said that this last time that she's been trying to get a detox bed and try this thing of recovery. Again, she said, it mattered, you, you've encouraged me. And so, don't don't diminish your impact, the power that you have, because as family, you have this like extra bit, and I want to say it's more than a bit to to give that cousin hope or defeat. Mm-hmm. They, yeah. Your impact is greater than Thank you realize.
1: Giving me uh, a renewed hope to look at it with a different perspective, and yeah. who knows, I might be calling him again. Uh, also I've got a daughter who's in her 40s who has been struggling ever since a very bad divorce with cigarettes and everything. She, you know you can give up heroin, but God, don't take my cigarettes away. Not that she was on heroin. But, uh, you know any hope for the cigarette uh, addict who just has tried everything, the patches and the gum and you know
3: God just everything. There's plenty of hope. I'll give you a great example. I, I smoked and used tobacco for 25 years. And uh, it, it, I was absolutely as addicted to that as I was any other drug that, that, that took me down. And like with my drug use, I did the same thing with my cigarettes, is I decided to hate, literally hate, what was going to ultimately kill me or rob me from this or that, things that I valued and cared about. And I was going to love what the freedom was going to give me or or recovery, love what recovery gives me. And I literally told myself every day, I hate that and I love this. And after a period of time, all of a sudden it became an unconscious reality. And that was the first time I ever felt freedom in my recovery walk. So I went for 17 years just behavior modifying. I need to, I have to, I can't, I should. All these victim-driven words about my recovery that wore me down. And wore be, her down. It wore
2: me down. Yeah, it wore me down. So the the, the, free, the
3: freedom that I feel and have felt for a long, long time is only—and I mean only—because I hate it. I can't be enticed by something I hate if it's really internalized and a part of who I am. And and what I love about recovery draws me to that every single day. And and I do it for not just me. And I think that's another factor too. If she can find more than just her to be the reason, then it'll 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 share it'll share the burden for sure. But, I mean, I, I'm in recovery for, for my family, my faith, uh, I mean, people I love, people I care about, and me. I am a reason to do this thing called recovery, whether it's cigarettes or anything else, but I'm not the reason. And I think too many people have to be, let's say, i got to do it for me. If I don't do it for me, it won't work. It's like, well, that that's not how we do life. We live life with people that we love and we care about. Why isn't recovery any different than that?
1: Adrian, last words. <laughs> oh, I was just
0: I was just thinking about all the people that quit smoking for someone else. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a relationship or because the a partner is ill or whatever, they stop for somebody else rather than for themselves. Yeah. Because they
1: hear the opposite. They hear, you got to do this for you. You can't do it for anybody else, you know.
0: You know, I did have one question. Have you ever been called in a second time?
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. I'd be curious. It's it's
2: rare. It is rare.
3: Well, it's rare because what I tell people, I say, once we've done what we're going to do, and if you want to do it again or if you repeat what you've already said, it just means you didn't mean it the first time. And so I say, say what you mean, mean what you say, and trust the process.
2: Okay. So some, and, and and sometimes it's it's a different situation. So um, they gave they 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 were able to overcome what the first one was for, but they uh-huh. didn't get completely healthy, and now they've got a new nemesis. So but, they might have laid down the alcohol, but now they're strung out on prescription drugs, that kind of okay. a thing. So that's happened. You don't do
1: interventions for cigarettes, right? That's,
3: oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, really? Absolutely. absolutely because method
2: think, works think, for anything. Think,
3: think of intervention as just a glorified family meeting that feels like a surprise party, a live birth, and a funeral all at the same time. That's really how it is.
1: I can't even imagine an
3: intervention for cigarettes. Oh, I, I mean, it, it, again, it's, it's no different than... You know, Where when do I think go? about, do they go to a hospital? Where do they go? Where well, they, they go? can. They, there, there's all kinds of smoking cessation programs that one could plug into. Uh, I mean, up here in Washington, there's, yeah, absolutely. It, it's a it's a smoking cessation program. Typically, is is trying to apply a negative experience to what used to be a pleasurable experience. That's what behavior modification is. And so it's learning to walk that out, whatever protocol. It cost money. Does
1: insurance cover it?
3: Uh, Insurance does
1: cover it. Yeah, cover it. It's called uh, uh, something cessation program. Which one?
3: Yeah, smoking cessation would be the term used to quit smoking. Cessation.
1: Well, we'll give that a try. (laughs) Hey, it's been great having you on the show. Uh, Time flies when you're having fun. Anything that uh, – we only have a minute or so, so I was going to say, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you wanted to answer, but we don't have time for that. So let me just, <laughs> say, <laughs> yeah, let me I, just say that thank you for coming on the show. It was a great interview. And uh, how can someone get a hold of you or services if they need it?
3: Yeah, a toll-free number is uh, 844-588-3267 or our website carefrontations.com.
2: And Can you, you cannot t- te- fe- you, you yeah, and you have to pick up the phone. We like to hear your voice. So you cannot text that toll-free number. <laughs> because there was there was no such thing as texting right. two decades ago when, when we and we wanted to keep the same number so people could get a hold. Awesome.
1: That's thank cool. you again. Thank
2: you.
0: Thank you, Dave.
1: Bye-bye.
0: Bye. Take Bye. Care. Bye. Thank
1: well, you. Bye. Thank you. By the way, I'm at caregiverdave.com and Adrian is at the caregiverspace.org. always forget to do that bye bye
3: take care
0: sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise like the birds will never sing oh.